Welcome once again to Unprofessional. I'm Lex Friedman. I'm joined, as always, by Dave Whiskus. Hello. And we're joined by Justin Williams of... Uh, of Justin, I don't even know what to say what you're of anymore. Uh, I'm from Second Gear, uh, as I used to be. I'm the artist formerly known as the only employee of Second Gear, who is once again the only employee of Second Gear. Yay! Well, thank you for joining us. I wish it were under happier circumstances. What? Who says I'm not happy? I do. Oh, okay. I'm not happy. You're, we can tell you're crying on the inside. <laughs> well, I'm always crying on the inside. We had a we had a delay recording this podcast for hours while we consoled Justin through his sobbing. Justin, you obviously no, you're not sobbing. You were in sobbing even before we started. But uh, tell the people what's what's the story. What what why are you our guest now? Um. So I guess basically what happened is I was working at a place called Hipstamatic up until late last week. And then all of a sudden I got laid off. And so Dave's decided that it would be a great idea to have me on to talk about being unemployed and what that entails and kind of how all that went down because being unemployed is crazy. And I feel like I've, I got laid off and this is my first layoff, but I don't think I'm ever going to have a better layoff ever. This has been kind of crazy and kind of fun. I just have to say it's, it's almost sounds so good, right? I got laid and then you have to add the off and then it goes from good to bad really fast. I don't think I've ever heard anybody describe getting laid off as fun before. <laughs> this has been pretty fun. I mean, and you usually envision that you get laid off and you kind of just, you sit on the sidewalk, you're like looking at your pink slip and you're wondering what's going to happen next. Uh, I got laid off an hour later. It was being written about all over the internet and I was just getting all kinds of contact from Twitter and email and phone. And it was just insane. Your layoff got fireballed. <laughs> My layoff did get fireballed. Yeah. Why'd they fire you? <laughs> um insubordination <laughs> complete failure to perform no, they, they realized what a giant dick i was uh yeah i i'm not really sure what happened so basically it was porn related so yeah so basically for anyone that doesn't know uh my story is basically that i ran my own company second gear for six years and i started it right out of college and i was just based in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, kind of doing my own thing. And then I kind of, I got the itch in my, that I just wanted to come out here and try doing the startup thing. And through a couple of different avenues, I ended up at Hipstamatic over, I think I got there in May and it was great. It was like, we were working on camera stuff. Uh, we were trying out some new ideas. We we're trying out some new experiments. Uh, not everything was perfect. No job is ever super perfect, but I was pretty happy there. And I thought things were sort of on the right track. There was things that we could have fixed. Uh, was yours the one that got bought by uh, Facebook for a billion dollars? Was that, was that hips to many? Oh, no, that would be uh, Instagram. Yeah. Screw those guys. Yeah. No, th th those guys are dead to us. Anytime you make that, <laughs> anytime that somebody confuses those two, I take a drink. So I, <laughs> I've been intoxicated for three months now. Uh, so anyway, so wait, which 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 hipster filter camera app sharing thing were you working Hipstomatic. on? Hipstamatic. It was the uh, 2010 app of the year. It, yeah, oh. I know. 2010, it was pretty impressive. And I mean, it was still a very fun app. I mean, I wouldn't have gone to work there if I didn't think that there was a lot of potential in that app. So kind of kind of what got me to get to the to Hipstamatic in the first place, and I, I was with Dave when I started playing with it, actually, was... Like I started using the app. I never even really, I knew it existed. I never downloaded it before I went and had lunch with one of their guys and I started playing with it. And I was like, there's actually a pretty cool idea here in terms of like how skeuomorphic it is and how it is trying to replicate this toy camera. It's really hard to use and there's a giant learning curve to it, but I felt like it was something that I could kind of put my hands on and kind of adjust and tweak and make 
a lot better experience. And that's, that's what I kind of go for whenever I'm looking for like new projects to like attack and like messing with hipstomatic kind of got my mind racing. So I ended up there. So for three months, that was kind of what I was doing was like seeing what we could do to improve hipstomatic and see what kind of how we could improve it on the social side, how we could improve it on the camera side, how we could just make an all better hipstomatic. Uh, so we were working on that until last week when uh, one of our guys quit and he basically quit because he was kind of frustrated. He wanted to basically just take time off and reevaluate what he wanted to do with his career. Uh, two days later, they decided to lay off five people, which, so I can only blame that first guy for quitting. <laughs> it's totally that guy's fault. It's totally his fault. They planted the seed. Yeah. He just, they just were so happy that they had one less salary. They're like, Oh wait, let's just get rid of five others. You know, I literally know almost nothing about this story and I'm learning it all from you now, but didn't I read that they basically got rid of all the developers and designers? Yeah. So hipstamatic wasn't that big. It was 12 people and they got rid of, uh, Two develop so one developer quit, uh, and then they laid off two developers, one designer, uh, one writer slash social media girl. She is if you've seen an iPad ad lately on either a billboard or the commercial, the first uh, like two or three seconds of it where they're turning a page of a magazine is Snap Magazine, which we actually developed and she wrote and edited the entire thing. That is a hipstomatic product that's currently being advertised on Apple uh, different Apple mediums, which is hilarious and sad at the same time. So they laid her off and they also laid off our office manager. So right now all that's left there is one developer who was the co-founder, the creative director, the CEO who also does some artwork, uh, the COO, and the director of fun. (laughs) Well, I mean, now they have a lot of money to have fun, right? They're like, hey, we can party all we need. What's more fun than layoffs? My salary is going to uh, buy a lot of PBR. Well, you described your layoff as fun. That Maybe it was the director of fun. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so, so here I go into work on Thursday morning and I get there about eight 30 and I'm the first guy there other than the COO. And by eight 38, I'm out the door, uh, with my severance papers walking to sight glass, uh, by eight 39, I have announced on Twitter that I'm now accepting contract work and that it has been a treat working at Hipstamatic. Are you laid off before ever other people get to work? Like, are you the first of the team to realize? Yeah, I'm the first to realize that I've been laid off, at which point I then call the other developer there. And I was like, I just got laid off. And he's like, am I being fired too? And I said, I'm not really sure what's going on right now. Wow. And so he he called into work and he's like, hey, do I need to come into work today? And they're like, (laughs) "Uh, maybe. And he's like, is there an envelope on the desk for me? And it's like, it's been a pleasure working with you. Uh, sorry about this and blah, 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 whatever. So between that, basically Hipstamatic had over the course of time, they've had three or four well-known iOS developers who have either been laid off or quit on their own accord. So when you have these well-known entities that are building your product and they announce that they've been laid off, it's going to pick up a lot of news. And so the next web ended up writing about it, TechCrunch, uh, GigaOM. I have a ta- I actually created a tag on my pin board called Hipster Dramatic, where I've been archiving all of these articles that have been, been written about this whole thing. Because someday I'm going to put it in my scrapbook. You have a scrapbook? I may someday. I'm unemployed. I don't have anything else to do. I'm going to make a scrapbook. A digital scrapbook. Okay, done. Now, you said that once Dave had learned of the layoff, that he thought that you should come on to this special unemployment episode. But Dave, what do you know about being unemployed? <laughs> uh, it's all about timing. 
I think. It just happened to be that uh, Justin and I were making uh, unemployment announcements at the same time. Right after he announced that he had been laid off from uh, Hipstamatic, I made the announcement that I was leaving Black Pixel. What? <laughs> and I thought, what could be more fun than a very special unemployment episode of Unprofessional? I like to call it the fun employment special, but... Uh, is it acceptable for me to be on this edition of Unprofessional, given that I am currently gainfully employed? Well, we keep talking about these apps, so you might get fired. That's right. I'm not allowed to talk about tech, or I get fired. So we could, this could, by the end of this episode, we'll all be unemployed. Fingers crossed. Now, did you enjoy your time at Hipstamatic? <laughs> was it a fun job while you were there? No, I w- yeah, I was very happy there. I mean, no company is... You don't strike me as the kind of guy who would stay at a job that you weren't enjoying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah. I give off that, that vibe. Anyway, yeah, I was really enjoying my time. I mean, no company is not without their faults, but everything that was kind of like was frustrating people there was stuff that could easily be fixed. But I was working on interesting projects. I went there because I had a passion for photography and I wanted to make really cool camera apps. And that's what they let me do. It was a very laid back environment. Uh, it was a beautiful office. If you'd ever been into their offices, it was insane how like it did not look like an office at all. It looked like an event space. And that was really awesome to kind of go into every day for work. Yeah. The, uh, during WWDC, there's a party or two there that I wound up going to and man, what a gorgeous space. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really hard to consider yourself going to work when you're kind of going into this place all day. Uh, the hours were completely sane, which is what I liked. So it wasn't kind of like a crazy douchey startup where you show up at nine o'clock and then you don't leave until like 10 or 11 at night. It was like, it was like going to a nine to five job, uh, getting to build really cool stuff. Yeah. Maybe if you'd put in those hours, they wouldn't have had to lay everybody off. If I would have just kept making more filters, more films. <laughs> yeah, they, that's what they needed more filters. No, you know, I was thinking back. Hashtag hipstamatic. I was thinking back to my first job out of college. And my then fiance, now wife, and I moved to L.A., uh, where neither of us had ever really lived before. And the goal was to work in the entertainment industry. And I got a job working as an agent's assistant at an agency called Paradigm. The agent's name was Jonathan. Was there a couch involved in the hiring process? No, but so everybody, all the agent's assistants hated me because I skipped the mailroom. I was a direct hire to assistant because his assistant had quit without notice. And when he heard I went to Brandeis, for whatever reason, he was also a Jew. And he was like, oh my gosh, Brandeis is an incredible school, so I'm going to hire you on the spot. But they all hated me because I didn't start in the mailroom the way I was supposed to. But his name was, and probably still is, Jonathan Silverman, which is also the name of a once popular actor. The dude from Weekend at Bernie's? Right. He wasn't the same guy. Oh. He just had the same name. So when I had to make reservations for, for my agent to meet with his clients, we would always do it under his name because he would get a good table because the restaurant would assume it was Jonathan Silverman, the actor. This guy represented non-famous people. He represented below-the-line people like cameramen and costume designers. So nobody ever heard of those guests. So. Or Jonathan Silverman now. But um, it was a horrible job. It was just the absolutely far and away the worst job I ever had. And so as quickly as I could, I quit and I got an incredible job making $26,000 a year working as humble brag, uh, customer support. Thank you. Customer support for a web hosting company. Um, and that was, it was still just a horrible and awful job, but I wasn't miserable each day. So it was, it was better than working for Jonathan Silverman, the agent, the, the one plus that I, I, I represent, he represented this, this one, um, a camera guy named Alec Sakharov, whose biggest show that he was the camera, the director of photography for was the Sopranos. Alex, for whatever reason, always loved me. And so when he would call and I would answer and say, you know, Jonathan Silverman's office, he would be excited and want to talk to me for a few minutes. And I was, I would always greet him, you know, enthusiastically. So one day 
the timing was beautiful. You know, the, the rule, of course, is you don't talk to any of the other talent that happens to walk into the office. You're just, you talk to your agent, you talk to the people who you're dealing with. But one day, uh, uh, Billy Baldwin comes in. He's meeting with one of the literary agents because he wants to write a movie or something. And they're leaning on my desk, even though it's, they're not, he's not there to see my agent, but he's there talking to his agent, leaning on my desk at the same moment that Alex Sakharov calls. So you got Billy Baldwin at my desk, Alex Sakharov calls, and I hear who it is, and I say, hey, Alec, how you doing? And it's like phones stop in mid-ring, and people stop talking because everyone wrongfully assumes that I am, A, talking to Billy Baldwin, which I shouldn't be doing, and B, calling him by the name of his more famous, more successful brother, Alec. (laughs) And it was uh, terrifying. These are the greatest name drops if it was 1993. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But um, I quit that job, too, because Jonathan Silverman is probably one of the worst human beings I've ever met. The the agent, not the actor. Right. (laughs) I, I hate the actor, too, because I'm just, he's so great, I'm mad that he's not still working actively. So I hate him for a different Yeah, how dare they cancel single guy? Wait, he's not actually working? <laughs> not as far as I know. <laughs> oh, I mean, I haven't seen him lately. I didn't know if he was like doing his own indie flicks or something. I've been fired from a lot of jobs, and I've, I've had a lot of really awful jobs. I don't think I've ever had a layoff that I would call fun. Well, that's because you didn't get a lot of publicity and press out of it. Uh, yeah, that's true. I've done some things that... I mean, this would have really sucked if, that would, if uh, it hadn't been written about and just... Like, it was a giant ego boost of like how many people were interested in like talking to me and like talking to all of us at hipstamatic and yeah a lot of it was like uh fresh like fresh meat in the water or whatever you want to say but like there was a lot of attractive offers in there as well and it was it was really interesting just to watch my inbox just keep going and going the tweets coming in from one from people wanting to hire me or talk to me about that but two just from friends and colleagues that i know from all around the world having either met him at conferences or having dinner with him at one time or saying, oh, you probably don't remember me, but you gave me advice a couple of years ago. Sorry about this, blah, blah, blah. Like that was really, really cool. And that kind of, that made the whole thing feel a lot better. And like we, the four of us that had been laid off there that during that day, we actually went and had lunch and we were just laughing and having a lot of fun about the whole thing. So I guess because it was, hap- we were all very close in that regard anyway. So it was like, it wasn't just my coworkers that got laid off. They were also my friends. And so we kind of, we weren't all, we were all frustrated. And so in a lot of ways, we were a little bit relieved that this had happened. But the fact that it was then picked up by all the news sites, and then we got all these crazy emails coming in and all these offers, we knew no matter what, we're going to be okay. It's not like we're kind of, we're in an industry where it's pretty easy to find work. So let's just have fun with it and see what happens. That's fair. So Dave, do you want to tell us a little bit about why you've been fired numerous times? I wouldn't say, okay, yeah, maybe numerous. I don't know. You, you, you go through life and you've got some crappy jobs. You've got some good jobs. I have a habit of, uh, I had a habit when I was younger of, of working jobs that were just like either way below me or uh, were the best I thought I could get. A lot of call centers. I worked in a lot of call centers. And uh, my, my favorite, this wasn't even getting fired, but my favorite call center almost fired story was uh, I, I was nearly fired. I came very, very close to being fired over uh, a racist comment that I didn't make. As opposed to the uh, racist comments you always make. Right. I'm, I'm very well known for being a racist. <laughs> we were, uh, I mean, it's a call center. I don't know if you've ever been in a call center, but it's, it's a bunch of people sitting around in cubicles answering phones. On a headset? Uh, yeah, on a headset. And uh, you sit in your cubicle and you answer your calls and you type stuff into the computer and you get their name and their information. You pull up their account and whatever. Uh, and the people around you are doing the same thing, but everybody's you know, focused on their on 
on trying not to think too hard about the, the work they're doing, which is meaningless and trivial and uh, monotonous. So people would do things like they'd have those like stress balls they would squeeze. They'd have little toys they'd play with while they were on the phone. And one guy in my little cubicle farm cubby area had this uh, this this hand weight that he would use to like you know, pump iron, I guess, while he was on the phone. And uh, one day, my supervisor, who I won't name, but she was this little perfectly round woman with bright orange hair. Uh, she comes up to me, and apparently the the guy's uh, hand weight had been had gone missing. And she comes up to me. Uh, let me take a step back. In in this little cubicle cubby farm thing uh, were were the people that I I worked with on a regular basis, including some friends of mine. One of my friends was this guy named Phil. Phil was uh, like a six foot five, six foot six black guy, older guy, uh, really really good natured, good spirited. He was a musician. He was a uh, and he was a DJ. So we would talk about music a lot, and we'd we'd hang out outside of work sometimes, and so we were friends. So the supervisor comes up to me and this hand weight had gone missing. And she says to me, Hey, have you seen a black dumbbell? And my response was, I don't know. Is Phil here? (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, it was, there, it was completely automatic. I didn't think about it. It was just a joke. I thought he was sitting next to me. I, uh, I, I didn't really give it much thought. Apparently he wasn't there that day. And my supervisor, she said she, her face turns white and this look of horror washes over her, and she says, "When you get off that call, come see me." Wow! Like, ah, shit, here we go. So I get off the call, and uh, I go into this little room where her and another supervisor are sitting there waiting for me because they can they can never be one in case they try to molest you or something. There always has to be two of them to validate a story. And she starts going over uh, the the handbook and why what I said was entirely inappropriate and and offensive, and I, I should apologize, and I. I I'm clearly not understanding understanding the gravity of the situation, and I I kept saying I don't know what the problem is. It's I wouldn't have said it if I thought it was offensive. It's something that I would have said in his presence, and she's she's getting so up in arms, she's getting so uptight that it start it's kind of starting to piss me off. I'm kind of getting annoyed at how indignant this white woman is being about me saying something about a friend of mine. And so she's she's going through the the uh, employee handbook and she's saying it's right here it's crystal clear it's black and white and I go black and white <laughs> I don't think that's funny you really don't do yourself any favors I think that's inappropriate you've crossed the line and she she looks at me and she goes you need to leave I'm like all right and I leave leave the office or leave the premises uh well I was off work anyway so I left the premises the next day I, I came in a little early so I could catch Phil. And explain to him what happened before somebody else did. And I, I pull him aside and I say, hey, here's what happened. Black dumbbell, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I follow up with, before I, do, uh, before I do or say anything about this, I just want to make sure that it doesn't offend you. And he looks at me and he goes, do you really think I'm a dumbbell? <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I don't think that's the part that, that they're offended by. I think that it was because I said you were black. And he goes, well, I am black. <laughs> I'm like, I know. I agree. You know, I'm just, I'm just still jealous that you were working at an, an in-call call center. Cause when I did, I, I worked one summer during high school at, at a telemarketing agency. So it was all out call, you know, where we had a, it was like a, a telemarketing outsourced agency. So rather than just selling one thing, I was selling all kinds of things and it would randomly change from call to call. But I sold so many old people voicemail systems. What? Oh. <laughs> I, I sold too many old people. 
voicemail systems from uh, Bell Atlantic that they would never have understood how to use. And I, I was really good at it, and I always felt horrible about it. I mean, not horrible enough to quit because I was excited that I was earning money, but still, I felt horrible. I'm sorry. I'm still laughing at you selling old people. I did that too, but I, that wasn't at the telemarketing agency. You know, speaking of me selling things, I do want to take a moment to say that this episode is sponsored by Excellent Creations. Excellent Creations encourages everyone to be unprofessional, but when you're ready for some professional mobile development, get in touch. Mobile web, iOS, and Android development. Excellent Creations, that's excellent with an X. Mobile solutions since 2007. And Excellent Creations, uh, they do not sell old people. Yet, but they're growing all the time. I may have to start selling old people. I really need money. So if you have any like grandmothers or something that you'd like to get rid of, I've got an eBay account. <laughs> I don't I don't know if there's a lot of money in selling old people. <laughs> the money's in young people, it's true. I, yeah. I have that demo too, don't worry. <laughs> well, we should we should talk about that. Justin has the Justin at Justin Twitter account. Oh, that's right. Uh, I'm at Justin at a I'm at, at Justin on Twitter, uh GitHub, ladies, uh, and Instagram, which is a blessing and a curse all in one. What? How many tweets would you say you receive per day that are intended for Justin Bieber? Well, let me just put it this way. I have a regular expression filter set up in TweetBot right now that hides any variation of the word Bieber. So basically, no matter how they misspell it, I will not see those tweets. I still see at least 200 misfired tweets a day in my mention stream. I'm I'm looking at your reply stream right now, and it is insane. It is all Bieber. <laughs> yeah. Now on Instagram, which I I changed my Twitter account or my Instagram account from Justin W to Justin the other day, uh, that is I'm getting a problem. I think I get probably ten or so misfires a day on that. So it's not as bad, but honestly, at the time that I decided I wanted to change, it did not occur to me that the Bieber problem would be there too, but. Wait, how do you misfire on Instagram? They send there. I had a photo this morning that was of a, it was photos of Justin Bieber and it says, OMG, I heart you at Justin space Bieber. So they mentioned you in comments. Yeah. Oh, oh. I thought it was like uh preteen girl sending you pictures, which man. Yeah. That would be bad. XX. Yeah. Triple fly girl cheerleader. XX uh, sends misfired tweets all the time. Have you thought about like DMing her and saying, "Hey, by the way, I'm not Justin Bieber." They don't understand. They're they're not intelligent. They have not fully developed their brains. That's just what Justin Bieber would say. Yeah, that's what they would think. Now, Justin, be- <laughs> before you worked professionally as a Justin Bieber impersonator on Twitter, uh, you mentioned that you started working for yourself. You ran your own company right out of college, and now you're back to doing that now. Yeah, not by choice, but yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. But I mean, with Second Gear, making the decision to start working for Hipstamatic, you said, you know, you liked what they were doing and you were passionate about it, but were were there other motivating factors that made you stop saying, I want to work from home and work for myself and, you know, do an office real job instead? Uh, Yeah, it was, it was basically because I never had, and I was, I was getting kind of bored. I just felt like I'd been sitting in my basement for six years at that point. I'd been working on kind of the same product for about a year and a half at that point, uh, my app that had kind of really blown up was called Elements. It's still out. It's it was, it was the first of the Dropbox text editors for the iPhone and the iPad. Now there's a million of them, but I kind of I cashed in on that pretty early just by being the first one out there. And 
I spent about a year and a half in those uh, Dropbox wars. And it was just, at that point, it was kind of just wearing on me. And the fact that I'd been in Indiana my entire life, I was starting, I'm, I'm nearing 30 and I was starting to have the, uh, well, am I going to stay here forever kind of questions. And I just on the whim, I just said, screw it. And around Christmas of last year, I just decided to move out here. So I got rid of a lot of stuff, loaded the rest of it into a moving truck. And out here I came. And I mean, in hindsight, it's probably not the wisest thing I've ever done. But at the same time, I also have no regrets about doing it because I think I don't think I would have ever left Indiana if I hadn't just decided like in a split second to do it. It was just one of those kind of impulse things. Right. Were there perhaps anything, uh, any things in your personal life that might've helped to spur that decision? Oh, well, yeah, my personal life is as has always been. My personal life is kind of a crazy train wreck. Uh, <laughs> uh last year I was uh, both married and divorced. So that probably contributed a little bit to it, but wait, that happened in the same year. Well, no, I, I started the year married. Uh, I ended the year divorced. Oh, I, I was okay, married I for 13 months and marriage wasn't for me either. Yeah, I know it was, it was expensive on both ends. So yeah, that, that didn't really help the, uh, funding cause, but I felt like I needed a life reset and that's, and it seemed like trying something completely new and out of my comfort zone of like working with people, uh, working in an office, moving to a city that I'm really not too familiar with other than coming out here for one week a year for WWDC. That seemed like one of the crazier things I could do. And so I came out here and gave it a shot and I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. I'm really giving consideration to just kind of, I've got all these offers on the table. I've been having lots of meetings with companies out here, but I'm really just giving consideration and just going back and doing my own thing because I did it for six years successfully. I liked doing it. I was kind of boring at sometimes, but I knew, I know how to do that a lot better than I know how to work for other people or with other people. And I like having the control of doing my own thing and controlling my own destiny because right now I kind of feel like I put my uh, destiny in the hands of other people and I have nothing to show for it. Now I have an expensive apartment that I'm not sure how I'm going to pay for. And I let my company stagnate for eight months. So sales aren't that great right now. So it's kind of like fixing everything all at once and trying to figure out what you're going to do next while kind of just flying by the seat of your pants. You know what I think you should do? I think you should get married again. (laughs) Do you have, can somebody send me one of those old ladies? Yeah, I'll work on that. The good news is that even though you're in a tough spot now and you have to figure out what, you know, how you're going to make everything fall together is that clearly you've demonstrated the ability to be successful on your own. And I'm not just trying to saying that since you're a guest here and I want to blow sunshine up your ass. I mean, that's part of it, but I mean, clearly you've, you've got a, the, the right track record. So it's, you're in a good shape. And I got to say, Justin, uh, with, a, with a little bit of nostalgia, with a tear in my eye, uh, you remind me a little bit of me right now. I didn't get laid off from my last job, but you know, I was working at this internet company where I had been one of the first, I don't know, two dozen or so employees. And I was there for six, five years. And it grew from, you know, 20 something people to 600 people during that time. And it was unsurprisingly a tremendously different company by, you know, that point when it grew to 600 people and it was early on. And I'm trying to think of the delicate way to say this. Um, I hated everything about it at that point. I think that's the delicate way to say it. That's pretty delicate. The um, I didn't agree with the business models. I was concerned that the company was leaving itself too vulnerable to the whims of other companies like Google in particular, uh, which, by the way, spoiler alert, it was 
Um, and you know, but I, I, I wanted to get out and there was a, I had been freelancing for Macworld for a couple of years and loving that. And unsurprisingly being a, an internet professional guy is fairly different from being in the publishing industry. So leaving the one job to take the other resulted in like a 52% pay cut. And we, my family had, you know, when I was debating, you know, can I do this? I really want to leave this other job and I really want to take this job. And what finally pushed me was, you know, I was thinking, I want to be able to say to my kids who are too young to appreciate it now, no matter what, but I want to be able to say and, and prove that there are things that are more important than money and salary and that you should find things that you can do that you love doing and be passionate about. Uh, so my wife and I decided we'd go for it. So I, I left that job and I took the giant pay cut and now do a job that I really love and look forward to doing each day. You sound all wise. I think what you have already found and will continue to find, this is my, uh, my, my uh, PSA of the day, is that um, if you find things to do that you're really enjoying doing, which it sounded like you really enjoyed what you were doing on your own initially, and then with second gear, and then you were excited and happy to be working at Hipstamatic overall, and now you're back doing the second gear project solo again, not by choice, but the fact is you're good at it, and the, by virtue of being good at it, it means that which whatever happens next, you'll continue to be good at and thus find success. As long as you're good at something, people. That's what I'm saying. Just be good at something. Like Dave is really good at being on this podcast. I'm okay at it. Dave is really good at talking about himself. That's true. Justin, I think that what, what Lex is trying to say is that if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. <laughs> I, see, I was going to make a comment about how at the end of that, we should have video of the, the more you know star shooting across. Yes. If only we had video. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with that in a lot of ways too, in terms of like, I've been taking these interviews and like coffees and meet and greets with all these companies out here. And the big problem I have is like, they're more than willing to pay me a very nice salary. And that's really flattering. But at the same time, it's like, I can't really get that excited about going into work every day and working at this giant corporation that has like structure and is talking about my career development path or some company that's trying to figure out how many different ways they can show more advertisements to people or get get you to buy more Smurf berries in their social gaming platform. That's just, that's not interesting to me. I lived paycheck to paycheck for six years with Second Gear, building stuff that I was passionate about. That's what I want to do. I'm a builder. I, the fact that we work in an industry that is relatively successful right now as mobile is growing is just a perk on top of it. I was building Mac software back before anyone was messing with the Mac. And that's what I love doing. I like to create things just because they interest me. I don't like to just go into work and collect a paycheck just because I need to support myself. These flattering interviews. Uh, I, I think you and I've had the same experience here talking to people lately where it's, it's uh, you can, you can max out your buzzword bingo card in a single meeting. I, I need a, but yeah, that's a good idea. We should make buzzword bingo cards. It's awful. They say things that you you hear in like those bad YouTube shit startup companies say videos. Like you you would never think that real people actually sound like that. And the and the fact is that like being out here in San Francisco, I think it's even worse because it's like you can't walk like a block without hearing somebody talking about stuff like that or like using the word pivot and they're not playing basketball. It's there's a <laughs> That's one of the frustrating aspects to me about being out here because I don't really resonate too much with that whole culture of like startups and trying to monetize on advertisements. I've always been kind of the uh, traditional business model kind of guy, just uh, spend less than I'm actually making and sell my stuff for a profit. And that's what I like to do. I am completely happy building a lifestyle business where 
it could support me, maybe one or two other people. I don't need to get Instagram money to be happy. I would like to have Instagram money, but it's not, it's not an end goal for me. It's not what I wake up every day aspiring to figure out how I can get rich. Have you thought about selling old people? I'm working on the domain name right now. <laughs> the Twitter account? I already have that. Tell me more about Black Pixel. Like, why, what, why did you leave? Why did I leave? Uh, it's, it's, like a, it's like a relationship. Sometimes you love each other a whole lot, and uh, you, you still just can't, you can't quite reconcile what you want versus what they want. And even that's not quite the right way to say it. It's, it's just that uh, it, it was a thing that had run its course. And there's no bad blood there. I still love them. They still love me. I still consider uh, Dan Pascoe to be a very close friend. And I, I wish them the best. And I really do hope that I get to, to work with them on stuff in the future. It was just, that was time. Do you get to keep your Black Pixel shirts or do you have to give those back? Uh, I get to keep them, fortunately. Yeah. I kept my Black Pixel shirt too, but all that hipstamatic stuff I had, that was a therapeutic cleaning out of the closet. <laughs> So you're you're not as willing to say as as Dave is that there's no bad blood between you and Well, I mean there I'm not necessarily I'm a lot of emotions about this thing. It's like horny <laughs> that too. Uh yeah, I'm angry because I don't have a job anymore. Uh I'm angry that they kind of screwed up a really good thing they had going. Uh I'm frustrated by all that as well. Uh I'm bummed that I can't go into that office every day and work on cool stuff. I'm excited because I have no idea what I'm going to do next. And that's, I like living in that sort of crazy state usually. And I'm kind of relieved because there's really nothing holding me back anymore. It's like I can pack up tomorrow and go wherever I want. And that's exciting. Yeah. There's a really bizarre sense of freedom that comes along with it. And for me, the first couple of days I had this like blue sky paralysis problem of it's like, okay, I can do anything. What do I want to do? And uh, I, I still don't have an answer to that, but it, I've, I've gotten past the anxiety of it. And now I'm just kind of enjoying the, oh, I can kind of do anything I want to now. Yeah, there was a definite day of like, I was on, I was basically, I did not sleep for three days. And it's not because I was like freaking out about anything. It was just, I was on an adrenaline rush. It was just like trying to keep up with everything that was coming in, trying to process what was going on. Uh, we were working on trying to like get our entire team. I was trying to find people jobs just because... As a developer, I think it's pretty easy for us to walk into a job. Uh, I was trying to help out our designer and our social media person through all the connections I had. But for three days, it's like I just did not sleep hardly at but more than like an hour or two a night just because all I could do was just like keep with my mind racing. And then Sunday, like I finally came up that adrenaline rush. And that's when it was like, oh, shit, now what am I going to do? Holy crap, I don't have very much money. Uh, I don't have a job right now. I need to find something to do quickly. So for the people who aren't in San yeah. Francisco and would like to see you uh, soon, are you going to be going on tour? Uh, yeah, I'm playing the Orpheum <laughs> next week. Uh, I'll be down in L.A. at the uh, Steve's Chuckle Hut. <laughs> what a transition. No, I mean, uh, are you doing conference stuff? Are you going to be out uh, on the circuit? Are you going to show up for things? Maybe at least say hello? Um, I have the freedom to now. It's basically... I'm giving consideration to coming to Denver for 360 iDev just to kind of hang around. May, I've offered my services to do a talk called uh, I Got Fired, Oh Shit, Now What? Which is basically this episode of uh, Unprofessional. <laughs> I was going to ask, what's that about? And yeah, it's basically going to be this and what, like, what do you do? Like, what, like, why did this happen? What are your next steps? Just kind of a discussion of 
kind of the craziness of being laid off. Cause I think this is something that a lot of people can relate to. I think this is a good reason why we're doing the show because at some point in your life, you're either going to be laid off or you're going to be fired. And you've kind of been through all these crazy emotions and kind of worrying worries and wondering what's next. So I will say I keep being reminded of a very different emotion, but there's the state if you give notice somewhere and everybody wants you to give two weeks notice, even though obviously, you know, when they laid off Justin, they gave him five minutes notice, you know, but you give two weeks notice. Sometimes I've given four weeks notice. And at that point, as soon as you've told your job, I no longer want to work here, working wherever it is. I don't care if it's, you know, at staring at naked ladies incorporated, working there gets miserable. I've worked there. It's a great place to to work until you quit. But once you've given notice, it's just you've got these weeks of of drudgery where nobody wants to give you any work to do. You know, there's always this theory you're going to train the new guy, you're going to pass off, but nobody actually ever wants to handle any of those things. I remember when I left my last job in L.A., um, I gave three weeks notice at their request. I was only going to do two, and they asked for a third. And that's when I really started falling in love with Wikipedia because I had nothing to do all day. And I read all about the different algorithms that powered the different ghosts in Pac-Man. And then I went through various arcade and Atari games and learned all about how all of them worked. And, but you just, you start to hate everything about the place because now there's nothing, your brain no longer needs to work to sugarcoat your experience at work each day. It knows you're out of there. And so it's just, Hey, look at this shitty thing that you have to deal with all the time and look at this crap. And it's, it all piles on and it's just awful. So I, anyone who has ever given, notice the job i think will will recognize the experience i'm retelling here but man you know the the other downside to quitting versus getting laid off is you don't get severance if you quit but i mean it's that's that period between when one gives notice and then when your last day actually is is really just a a two or three week wall of suckitude i just want to throw that out there that's why the the winning move is to not give notice and just do that for two weeks until they fire you, and then you get unemployment. <laughs> nice. Just turn over the table and walk out. Drop the microphone. Just drop the mic and just say I'm out. Grab the beer, pull the slide. You mentioned uh, looking at Naked Ladies Incorporated. Uh, I did have that job. Not looking. I was a uh, oh guy. I can't believe when I say this. I was a photographer for uh, a website. Let's say. Hmm. Was that fun work? Not even a little. It sounds cool. And my friends thought like, oh, God, you you have the coolest job. Can I go to work with you? And the truth is, it's like, it's like loving. uh, It's like being a food lover and going to work in uh, a slaughterhouse. You get to see how the sausages are made. I was trying not to use the word sausage, but yeah, yeah. We, we try like to use that. that word in every podcast now. You see parts of the meat that you you didn't ever <laughs> think that you wanted to see. You know, when I, I I would do freelance website building in LA, and I built a couple of sites for a guy who was attempting to establish a, an adult toy empire. So I built – neither of the sites exist anymore, so I'll freely say their names. Like Legos? Yes. Um, <laughs> so, But I built him this e-commerce site called sextoyrage.com, and then he had another one that was like more targeted towards women. So that one was called thesecretbox.com. Oh, God. And um, he had, we had this big conversation where he's like, I'm not sure that the thumbnails – I don't know how I want to phrase this. He's like, I'm not sure that the thumbnails are large enough to convey the differences between some of these different – uh, these different toys. And he was worried that, you know, people wouldn't recognize that one was say X inches and the other was X inches larger because the thumbnails didn't properly convey that. So we ended up bumping up all the, 
all the thumbnails. And that's what I remember most about sextoyrage.com. Why can't you just say vibrator? I, it was actually, these were dildos. He was concerned that oh. the dildos all look the same. I didn't want to say dildos for fear that the uh, the folks at Hipstomatic would think we were talking about that. <laughs> this is the moment when I really wish that you guys had another sponsor to seg to. 